Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as Winner, Best International Show, NZ Cobfest 2016. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Felicity Ward. Hello. I, <laughs> I mean, that is on my edit pro. That is on my profile. The uh, the the tr- the the winning the award. That I would never describe myself as that. <laughs> I'd never go up to someone and go, "Hello, who are you?" Or me? Well, I'm the winner of the international <laughs> show in New Zealand, NZ Comfest. Even the abbreviation makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> It sounds like a you go to the doctor for your NZ Confest. I know. What's yeah. this? It sounds like a convention that they've abbreviated because they're embarrassed about what NZ actually stands for. Yeah. But they're not. They're Kiwis, right? No, no, no. I've got, oh, my God. I hope that doesn't come across anti-Kiwi. I am a big fan of New Zealand. I mean, after all, Very they fun. gave me an award. <laughs> Well, then, Felicity, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, in, in social settings? I'm just, hello, yes, my name is Felicity. That's about it. I try and give away as, as little as I can for as long as I can because I am a chronic oversharer. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't take a lot of pushing. That's not a bad thing, though, is it? Oh, it would be nice to have some personal boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> If we didn't overshare sometimes, then we wouldn't really we wouldn't form the the solid friendships that we have with those that we consider nearest and dearest. Yeah, that's nearest and dearest though. I'm like, well, hey guy on the bus, and he's like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. I'm like, I think you will if you get to know me. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you about this award I won at NZ? <laughs> I am Felicity. I've won an award. <laughs> In professional circles, then, do you find that you need much introducing? Um, it depends. You know, it depends who's introducing me. If it's my partner, probably not. If it's friends in the comedy world, probably not. Um, anywhere outside of that. I mean, most of the people in my family know who I am. There's some that don't. Um, well, they've blocked me out. That's a different story, though. Uh, I'm yeah. joking. Um so, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I just, no, I, I mean, I always have to introduce myself to strangers. Yes, is the short answer to that. Do I need to say why I'm speaking quietly? I, I have to, I feel, I would never, ever speak this quietly. I'm a foghorn. That is my nickname, one of the many nicknames my family's given me. Um, but it is midnight in Australia, uh, in Australia, in England, and my partner is asleep next door. Um, because he has a job of which I do not. <laughs> but that's co- the nature of comedy, isn't it? That, you know, midnight recordings and things are fairly de rigueur. You know, conversations happen then because that's a, the after gig process. I know. I feel so rock and roll. Just like, <laughs> And even I had to turn down a party. I was going to go For to this. A, yeah, I was going to go to a party. But it was also like, and it was a, a wonderful friend of mine, but it was. Um, I have a lot on at the moment and it's probably not a bad idea that I just came home. See, chronic oversharer. 
I didn't have to tell you that. I know it didn't add to the conversation. It didn't take us forward anywhere. You haven't learned anything interesting about me from which you can then ask another question. It's just like, oh, that sounds like a blank spot. I could probably put some words in there. How do you describe your experience of family? Of family in general? Yes. Um, I love my family. Um, We are, I imagine, mentally ill, most of us. (laughs) (laughs) Behavior. Um, oh, both sides are. My mum's side is who I'm, whom I've spent most time with, um, and there is there's a lot of us. Like on my mum's side, my sister and I are two of sixteen cousins, and wow. then oh no, twelve cousins. And then on my dad's side, we are two of sixteen. So there's like twenty four. I don't know. We just keep breeding. Um, <laughs> Uh, loud, uh, generous, mm. um, very focused on family gatherings, but not necessarily great at them. <laughs> We're like, you got to do it. It's like, what if it isn't good for us? It's not the point. It's family. you got to meet up. <laughs> um, but I've also lived away from like in a different city to my family since I was 20. So mm. I, it, what was, what's been funny moving to the UK is we live in the same city as my partner's parents and he goes and sees them like, you know, once a month or something and sometimes more than that. And I have not had that kind of proximity to family for 15, 16 years. I'm like, aren't we overdoing it a bit? Is this what other people do? What I'll do is I'll, I'll go back for like a week or two weeks to um, back to um Australia, do a victory lap, do one night with grandma, and then we do a little reunion, then maybe a day at the beach. And then I have sated my requirements for <laughs> six to 12 months. <laughs> so when, why can't, when my fella's like, oh, you know, do you want to go for mum and dad's for the weekend? I'll go and have a barbecue. I'm like, God, we saw them two months ago. Why don't we be cramping their style? <laughs> Don't they have things to do and other friends? I know. Why do they want to keep seeing us? Um, because they love us. <laughs> yeah, but apart from that, love isn't enough. <laughs> wow, there's so much in that. I, I uh, resonate very strongly with the large family thing, my my father's side particularly. Mm. It's huge. Um, and you're right. I, I don't know whether it's the fact that, uh, that there's just so many people in that part of the gene pool that there doesn't seem to be an organiser among any of us that when you try and do a, a family right. reunion, it'll happen, just not very well. Yeah. It's a bit of chaos. We have we have a couple of organisers and then there's a lot of like passag behaviour. Like we'll go, okay, so-and-so's doing like at Christmas, everyone has to do a meat or a mm. thing. Like someone does dessert, someone does the turkey someone's doing salads but there's you know we, essentially what we what they haven't figured out is whatsapp all they need to do is figure out whatsapp and then a lot of the gossiping will come to a halt or conversely turn it into a master chef style elimination challenge where That's all right. of the things that are brought are under cloches and you just lift the cloche and everyone gets to ooh and ah and guess who made it. And then whoever has the worst dish doesn't get to come to Christmas next year. I tell you what, I'd be making cheese toasties and burning them all. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 
Felicity, what prompted uh, the move to the UK for you? Because you were doing pretty good business here in Australia. Yeah, I just wanted to get better and I didn't know how to do it in Australia. The only – because I I try and look at what I can control and all I could control is – the only way that I could do better is if I did more gigs and I couldn't do more gigs kind of than what I was doing. I was like, you know, I was traveling a lot. And um, and I thought, well, if I've got, I don't want to keep traveling like this. So I'll just go somewhere that has a lot of gigs. So I thought I would come to the UK and originally I was going to come for just like six months and then met bugger lugs in the other room and then dickhead over there made me fall in love with him. And then, um, and then I, and then I like made it, everything that I said I wasn't going to do, I did. So we hadn't been seeing each other for very long and I said, look, you're really great. I just got to let you know um, I've done long-distance relationships before. I'm going back to Australia in November and I'm just not going to do one of those. He's like, absolutely not. They're the worst thing ever. I'm like, great, same page. And then November comes and I didn't really know why I was going back. So I thought, well, maybe if I just extend my ticket till January and we'll see where things go. And then it got to January and I had seven months of work booked in um, in Australia and yes. in America and in South Africa. And I sort of got to January and went, oh, what do you think about a long-distance relationship? He's like, I'm totally up for a long-distance relationship. <laughs> and so we did awful, awful long-distance for seven months and we saw oh, each other wow. intermittently through the, throughout that. And then I came back to the UK in July 2014, then went to Edinburgh for a month, then came back. And so September 2014, we sort of moved in together and we're like, okay, let's do this. And then we got engaged last year and now it looks like I'm stuck here for a little bit. That's so good. Congratulations on, well, not only successful relationship land, but engagement is very, you know, it's a magical place. It's a magical time in your life. It really is. And I have been engaged before. nice to have the opportunity to do it twice you know i didn't get married i haven't been married yet but um um yeah it was it was a different experience this time i didn't uh i've never i've never spoken about this before i don't know if you had this um are you married i've got a feeling you're married i am this is my second yes okay well you and me both we've both been engaged twice then um Mm. The first time I got engaged, we'd been together for ages. We'd been together for six years, but I met him when I was 18. And then, so when we got engaged, mm-hmm. I was 24. And when he proposed, even though we'd been talking about it for like two years, I reckon we'd been like talking about what we thought the wedding would be like and who we'd invite and blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, I'm not going to propose. So it's it balls in your court. We make jokes about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And then when he did it, even though we talked about it, it was a – like a physical shock to me. And then I had this little like um, slideshow of all of like the good things that have happened to us and all the bad things that have happened to us and where we've gone. It was like a near-death experience. And and then I said yes and then he said yes and then I started crying and then I called all my friends and um, whereas this time when it happened, it was very, very different. It was very peaceful and it was a surprise and he didn't know he was going to ask me and I didn't know that he was going to ask me. And um, uh, I, and then I, I didn't feel like excited but not in a bad way. I mean I felt really peaceful and content. I went, mm. oh, this is how it should feel. Not like a near-death experience. 
<laughs> but I'd never been engaged before the first time, so I didn't know. You know, like when you meet someone and you think, oh, this is what a relationship is supposed to be. You're like, oh, you just get used to that. Oh, you're supposed to hate them a bit of the time. Oh, you know, you know, like, and not to say that I hated my first partner, like that long-term partner. I really didn't. Um, but there are things, if you haven't had a, 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 as an, you're supposed to go out with a bunch of people when you're a teenager and fuck a bunch of dudes so you can figure out what is normal for you and what is not and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And I didn't get that. I didn't make that choice. And so um, there was a lot of things that I went, oh, yeah, that seems normal. Okay. And then, you know, I was – before we broke up, I, he'd get home from work and he'd watch the news and I'd sit on the computer and we wouldn't talk for a little bit. And that happened most nights. And that's fine if you're like 60 and you've been together for 40 years and yeah. sometimes you – get sick of their little stupid faces um but not when you're 25 but i didn't know that yeah yeah so that's you know it's nice to have i i do view my life as having uh, as having two lives like sort of having a before and after before breakdown and after breakdown (laughs) it's okay though like it's not i I say breakdown sort of with affection because I, I did. I had lots of things changed. I've, run, I've written shows about it. Um, yes. You know, I stopped drinking. I broke up with my fiance, moved back in with my mum, and that was all when I was 26. And I thought that everything was the worst. But I'm so glad that that happened because they're all the little building blocks, blocks that make you into the person you are now. You know, they're the, yeah. they're, it means that when you get to the fork in the road that you're making the right decision the second time. This always happens to me. As soon as you start talking about um, big life things, I cannot mm-hmm. be funny. I stop being funny and all it, I love talking about deep shit. I love it. Yeah. I hope that's okay. <laughs> no, that's totally great. I was just going to encourage you and say that but that deep stuff is what, as humans, that allows us to um, really acknowledge our humanity and our existence. If we, all, if we only ever talked fluff, sure, we'd procreate, but the kids would be idiots. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our kids are going to be idiots for different reasons. I'm going to make them do choreography from a very young age. Genuinely, that's really the only reason I'm having kids is for the choreography. I just can't wait for my fella to come oh, it's home worth it. and go, all right, sit down. We've been working on this all day. Look over at my two-year-old, go hit it, and then put on whatever it is. That's like that's my dream life. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we can have kids. Oh. <laughs> They're so malleable and corruptible. It's oh brilliant. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I, I, I am having visions of proud Mother Felicity standing in the corner with, you know, proud Mary busting out and small child in tights, uh, leotard, feather boa, doing something. And See, very proud dad on the couch you, just nodding and smiling. You've got something wrong there because you've said in the yes. corner watching. He's he's a duet and will always be a duet. (laughs) A little bit of a hip nudge when uh, someone's getting a little bit of mum's space. Yeah, that's right. I said step ball change, motherfucker. (laughs) We rehearsed this. You're embarrassing me and you're embarrassing your father. As you said, you've written shows about, you know, your life and those sorts of things. By the way, what a catch. Moving back in with mum at 26. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. It was a hot babe. A hot, sad babe. <laughs> I feel that pain. Uh, the Do you find, given that, what are we, 2016 now, 
halfway through it, gosh. Don't. That, yeah, uh, the, the conversation around mental health and those sorts of things is in, improving in that we, it's okay to talk about it more. Yeah, I think it's okay to talk about it more. Um, I Oh, hey. Oh, bummer. So we've got this. Sorry, I'm just going to sidestep for a moment. We have this sensor light out in the front of our house. Yes. And it just came on. And what that means is that either the neighbours are home or there's a fox in the garden. Unfortunately, the neighbour's home. Uh, But I was going to get all excited. I'm obsessed with foxes. We have them, urban foxes over here. I love foxes so much. I got a tattoo of one on my wrist when I was last in Australia. (laughs) Um, Sorry, mental health. Easily distracted. No, urban foxes. We can. We'll we'll shelve the urban fox. We'll come back to him, please. Mental health. Um, Yeah, I I think it's. But you know, I think it's talking about it. There's two senses of the word. There is talking about it in public, which I think we actually, we absolutely can more. Um, I think that's easier to do, but I don't know um, how good that is. I think that there is, I don't know if awareness is where we need to invest our money. So it's like all well and good that we can talk about it more, but that, Mm. you know, I think the life expectancy, I'm not sure if it's the quality of life or the life expectancy, for mentally ill people hasn't changed in Australia since 1983. Wow. Yeah. It's it, – that that is not like a, a, a direct quote because I don't know if it's 1982 or 1983 and I don't know if it's life expectancy or quality of life. It might be quality of life. It hasn't changed since 1982. So we can talk and talk and talk and that's fine and mm. talking is an important part, especially when you're talking about male – um, mental health or rather mm. um, male suicide because the rates yeah. here is a fact um, every country bar five in the world men have a disproportionately higher rate of suicide than women every single country bar five wow yeah and what um, I don't know what it is with other like with other countries I can't speak on behalf of cultures that I don't know anything about and I'm not going to try um mm. But there is a very big disparity that's happening and I don't know why that is and I'm not going to say, you know, yes, that there is obviously a culture where men aren't able to speak freely about um, about things that are, are going on for them. They don't have the same um, support networks as women do and that's, you know, that's not me being sexist, that's mm. facts. Um, but there is something that governments need to start paying attention to where, you know, suicide is having this great impact on men, especially you – know, I, I want to say – I'm I'm fluffing a, around these because I don't want to say definitively that these are the facts. I've read a lot, but it's it's quite late here and so I don't know if my recall is quite good – is quite good enough. Sure. Um, I've got a feeling that suicide might be the major killer of men between 25 and 45, something like that. Oh, I'm I sure it's not far off. If it's not number one, it's in. It's on. You know, it's top three. Whatever it is, it's not getting enough attention. It's not getting enough time. Mm. I know this for a fact. I know that mental health gets a third of the funding that cancer does in Australia, and affects a very similar amount of people. And that is outrageous. And in fact, around the yeah. world, 
cancer is responsible for 5% of deaths, whereas mental health is uh, responsible for 13. 13% of all deaths in the world is because of mental health. So I just, like they're talking about it thing and the stigma thing. Yes, stigma is an important thing to get past, but it needs to be, you know, it needs to be legislation. It needs to be, you can't discriminate against this. It needs to be, you, it is now law that you get two weeks mental health leave every year if you, you know, that you don't get penalised for it being a mental health problem or that you can call up to work and Mm. say, I am utterly depressed today. And they say, great, give us a call when you can come back in the same way as if you hurt your back. Because the amount of people, you know, most people that have a physical illness get treated treatment for it. Whereas the amount of people that have mental health that get treatment for it is something like 30%. So it's just like more than anything, it's just not fair that that yeah. amount of people are not getting, and especially in Australia, like I feel very fortunate to live in the UK where they have the NHS system. So last year I got really bad and I'd never been on medication before and I didn't know how bad it was until I got happy for a little while and then I went, oh, my God, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know how awful I'd been, which is also one of the other shitty things about mental illness is you can't measure it against anything else. You can't. You know, there's no like set of scales that you can go, oh, I like to be between 55 and 60 kilos of happiness. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't get back on the scales and go, oh, I am fat with happiness or I'm a little bit light on happiness. Um, So I didn't didn't know. And so I went um, to the doctor here and they referred me to a CBT therapist, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And I thought, if this doesn't work, mm-hmm. then I'll go medication because I can't live like this. And then I went and saw a therapist, a trained therapist for 14 sessions for free and then got a follow-up wow. session two months later for free. No, I yeah. didn't pay a penny. I didn't pay a penny at the doctors. I didn't pay mm-hmm. a penny at the therapist. And it was, And it changed my life. So I just, you know, I went back to um, – WA, they had a they had the mental health conference, and one of the universities there, one of the colleges at the university, one of the universities there, um, had a new student take their own life, and uh, they said, "Would you mind coming and giving a bit of a talk?" And I went there, and I was sort of like, I sort of did a bunch from my show because most of my show last year was about mental illness. And then I said, so if you know, you know, if you feel any of these symptoms, if they're going on for more than a couple of weeks, get to your doctor, like go and get some help for it. And then I was talking about it the next day. It was the mental health, WA mental health conference. And I said, you know, these kids need to be in doctors and seeing psychologists. And I started crying because I'm like, they can't afford that. Like the fact that you are priced out of mental wellness is so awful and it's not until I lived somewhere else where I got it for free that it really made me consider like rural Australians and regional Australians and, you know, yeah. the working class and the underclass and students mm. and people on disabilities. You know, like some people on disabilities are getting offered six sessions of therapy. Someone said, oh, I got six sessions for, th- for free. It's like six sessions – you can't, like scientifically, you can't achieve 
any kind of resolution in six sessions. It's just offensive. I'm so – anyway, sorry. This is what happens when you start me talking no, about fine. mental health, Steve. I go on a little rant here. <laughs> but it's so important, Felicity, and you're right, that the fact that six sessions barely scratches the surface. You just start to peel back some of the layers and get to the stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's great to talk about it, but there's people fucking dying while we're talking, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know that the suicide rate is higher in Australia than it is in the UK. And I put money on the fact it's because people don't have access to treatment in Australia the same way they do here. And don't get me wrong, I was on a waiting list for two months and there are people that are on waiting lists for longer who have deeper, longer trauma, who have, you know, decades of psychological or physical abuse or whatever it is that have to wait for, you know, a friend of mine had to wait for 18 months before she could see someone on an ongoing basis. So... Oh, the good news is, is that we spent $24 billion on jets in Australia and we're building submarines. Ooh. And that's good, isn't it, guys? Because, you know, war, yeah. that's good for mental and health. French ones too. Yeah. French submarines Yeah, too. French submarines. And I think the contracts are Spanish. Is that right? And some Probably. of the steel is from Australia, but not all of it. Oh, look, yeah. we're so great at spending money on the right things. Oh, I'm so sarcastic. I'm sorry. It's, a, it's an election year, Felicity, and it's all happening. You are protected somewhat by being in the UK from it, it's getting crazy. Oh, yeah, I'm across it. Don't worry. It's not better, better here. It's just different. Yeah, I hear that. It's, um, there's a, the class system here is, whew, they hate poor people, man. <laughs> they really hate poor people here. <laughs> like we hate well, brown there... people, but they hate <laughs> poor people. Isn't there a, a serious push within at least one of the major parties to, to do away with the NHS? Yeah, yeah, the party that's in at the moment. They're trying to. What they're trying to do is, with all privatising, is they strip it of resources and funding, and then say, "See, it's not working," and then they also get the double bunger of being able to say that they can blame immigrants, and then so they say this has to be privatised because it's not working like that, and then they privatise it and sell it to their mates, and it works uh, for rich people. Yep. Oh. Yeah. It just makes me angry. Mate, if you didn't have depression before, come on <laughs> over. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Where do you find your peace? Um, I, I, you gotta, I have to, because otherwise yeah. I'll be too sad. Um, I have a lot of really good things in my life. There are really a lot of good things. Um, I, when I'm not travelling well, I find it very hard to walk around London um, just because of the amount of poverty and that really, really affects me. So, I, And I only just thought of that then because I thought of how sad I was. When I was sad, how sad that would make me and I would just give away any money that I had because there were so many homeless people and I was like, I don't have the money, I can't make them all better. Um, but here I'm, I'm also like, Strangely, a very joyful person. Um, I get, you know, like urban foxes. That's kind of where I get my peace is animals and sunshine and a very loving partner and great friends and the job that I have when my job is great, it's the best in the world. When it's bad, it's awful. It's like a British (laughs) summer. But um, it's, uh, yeah, I get a lot of, I do, I swim 
now that's something that I had to start doing for the old noggin. I started swimming. I try and do that three times a week and I get immense peace there. And um, I don't know. It's all that got to start from within shit, you know. So I meditate and all those other things that most people are embarrassed to say and I probably should be too. I, I think they're they're all reasonable, right? All of these things that help make us um, prepare ourselves our, our mentally and and physically prepare ourselves to fight whatever comes our way. Yeah, because like day. the idea is the idea. I think with life, and this is just me. I think that life is essentially most tolerable when we approach it with a Buddhist. Um, when we take a Buddhist approach, and I'm not a Buddhist, but mm-hmm. the idea that um, we can't control anything, only our responses to things. And I have this, I have like this hippy dippy fantasy. I remember speaking to a therapist years ago when I was, mm. when I was just about to leave my partner the first time, my long term partner. Um, mm. I remember saying, I have this vision, and what I want my, what I want to be is like that. This, this is, I mean. We are getting into some crazy shit here, Steve. Um, <laughs> that my body is like a just a, a, a ventricle and emotions go in and out and I just let them happen and I don't have any control over them and that's how experiences just go in and experiences just go out. And so I'm not carrying any of the scars of those experiences. That's my ideal. And the only way that I can do that mm-hmm. is if I work on my peace. And if my peace is in shape, then most things can happen and I go, huh, oh, well. But if my peace isn't in shape, I am an angry young lady. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. I am a spicy meatball, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) But aren't we all? I think there are times when stuff just gets to us and and we we can't – we either aren't sure how to process it or or it's, it's dredging up feelings we can't articulate. Uh, and those times, that's when those quality people around us can really help, can't they? Yeah, that and giving yourself a time out because <laughs> sometimes it's the people yeah. around you, I say sometimes, always oh, yeah. it's the people around you that you take out your bad behaviour on. Yeah. it's it's And some, oh, please. No, no, no. And bus drivers, I was going to say. <laughs> They're usually the yeah. other people that cop it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and for some people, they they withdraw and find that the best way to process that is some kind of substance. Others find that it's just a, yeah. a you know, a, I need a space. Yeah. For others, it's you know, the long walk in the in the rolling hills of whatever. But but I think that we, it's a really positive thing to know what it is that helps us process and fix it, and where we need to withdraw to, as long as we're also conscious that we need to then come out of that withdrawal we need to come out of that place and reconnect yeah yeah and I like I I would love to be busier than I am I'd like to work more than I am Uh, I'd like to do you know my schedule to be even more hectic this is like ideally when it's just left up to me when I'm not considering myself in that factor at all but if I want to be not crying most of the time then I can't do that and I do need to factor things in like um, eating enough and often enough. And, and it's this is – I remember one day I was in Adelaide mm. and I woke up during the festival and I felt really bad and I was like, oh, no, my depression's coming back. And I went somewhere to a friend's house and I just made a, um, a Vegemite sandwich. 
I was just hungry. Yeah. I didn't have depression. I was just hungry. And that is how sensitive I am that I still think that I'm about to fall into a clinical mental illness when actually I just need to feed myself. I would love to think <laughs> that my problems are more complicated than they are, but they're just not. I'm usually just hungry or tired. That's it. Or lonely. Emergency Vegemite sandwich in the purse, if you don't mind. I know. <laughs> you know, one of the shows that I did, actually the one about the um, – I was doing a photo shoot yesterday for my new show, trying to get the poster shot, and um, yep. it reminded me of when I did I did a show called The Hedgehog Dilemma, which was when I, I broke up with my fella and uh, my ex and moved back in with my mum. And the photo hat was me. I had a dress on and I was unzipping, and then I had ten acupuncture needles coming out of my back. And then yep. the photo was me um, looking over my shoulder as I undid the dress, and um, it was. I don't know whether it was the angle or the acupuncture needles, but I did it. And turning your neck around for that amount of time is really quite difficult. And after about five minutes, I was about to faint. I'm like, I think I need some cordial and a Vegemite sandwich. And so that's what they fed me because I was about to fall over. What a loser. <laughs> no, it's so Very cool. sensitive little constitution. <laughs> When you become uber famous and, and, you know, you've got people following and, and just sort of giving you your every whim and, and need, you've got to hire a Vegemite sandwich person. Yeah. Or I just, um, that will be my rider. They're like, yes. all right, you're doing this headline gig in Uzbekistan. And I'm like, well, you better find me a Vegemite vendor in Uzbekistan. Thank you very much. <laughs> And your management are talking to them. We know we can set you up with a guy. We know where you can get it. We know a guy <laughs> on the black market. What is this Vegemite? <laughs> Don't say it out loud. They'll hear us. <laughs> now, urban foxes. Oh, yeah. I think they've got How something common going. are they? Really, really common. I'm, I probably see them one every ten nights that I come home. Yeah. And... If I see them, because sometimes I see them in the street when I'm coming home from a gig, and I always, it's like it's, I'm so this is, I'm very childish. I get very excited by stupid things, and so I'll come home and I have to go around the corner and down the hill to get to our place. And so when I come around the corner and go down the hill, I walk really quietly, I tread really softly in case there's a fox around. And then sometimes Great. they walk across the road and they see me and I see them. And then we both stop and we stare at each other. And I'm like, I think foxes have something going on. I think they're a bit mystical. And so yeah. I'm like, I have a stare off competition with a fox and like try and transmit messages. <laughs> <laughs> not like, not like kill your leader or anything, but just like, <laughs> I know that you know. Like, we have something, don't we? And then obviously, then they just run off and, you know, go and eat a bit of garbage. <laughs> I don't know how mystical they are, but um, I, I yeah, I, so I love them so much that I got this. I got a tattoo of a fox on my wrist, and now mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm telling you this. This is exactly what I was talking about with oversharing. Now, when I see the fox, sometimes I rub my tattoo as well, <laughs> and just hope that they like go. Oh, she's the chosen one. <laughs> In the great post-apocalypse that will inevitably come, mm -hmm. you will lead an army of foxes. Oh, my God, don't. That's my dream. Imagine <laughs> if I just ran a farm that had foxes on it. <laughs> 
you know, like baby cub foxes, and oh, that's too great mm. to even imagine. At least one of them dressed up as a dandy. One of them's wearing a cravat. Oh, most of them have hats on, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. How else are you going to tell them apart? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love the idea of rubbing the tat. It's like you're pressing a button that it engages the communication sense. Oh, it's but so I've good. always been. I've always felt like there's probably a part of the universe that I haven't quite unlocked yet. So when I was younger, yeah. um, when I was younger. Uh, we had this room downstairs and we had a really old house and downstairs mum made one corner of this room like her sewing room and she had an old spinning wheel and um, like a loom and um, so she used to make make a lot of our clothes and I remember because it was really dusty and there was this small stained glass window, the light used to come in and the sunbeams looked thick and it looked like you could step on them and so I used to step I used to stand in front of the sunbeams and like take deep breaths and I thought right if I just open my mind the right way I'll be able to walk up these sunbeams and I used to do that I don't know how long I did that for but I I was pretty young so I must I was such a little weirdo (laughs) not much has changed (laughs) that's excellent I used to try and walk up sunbeams I wish we could all walk up sometimes. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a strange young lady. <laughs> it's so great, Felicity. Well, fortunately, I found someone who thinks that. That's, I yes. mean, that is the magic of a relationship. Mm. When someone's like, that is so great, you're like, really? Oh, my God, I am never letting go of you. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things that he just thinks are great that I, I'm like such a relief. Because, you know, you can't help what you like. You can't mm. help the stupid things that you do and oh, things yeah, yeah. that make you feel good. So I, these foxes make me feel good. And, like, thinking that they're a little bit magical makes me feel good. And he thinks that's wonderful. Oh, my God. I mean, obviously happiness comes from within and self-esteem is great, but a loving partner doesn't help. It doesn't hurt, does it? Yeah, not at all. That's so good. Oh, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Oh, I don't know. Um, so, all, I mean, like there are, there are things that I have in my diary. I'm doing my first UK mm. tour in October. That is Excellent. very exciting. And um, I have some writing things, like I have a, a, just a couple of little pipeline things that mm. haven't um, – they're nothing – Official or they're nothing that basically anything in television, unless they're calling action, hasn't happened yet. You can have a, a signed yeah. contract. You can have, you can have money in your bank, unless they're calling action or you're watching it on television. Then nothing's happened. Um, so yeah. I've got a couple of little things where action hasn't been called yet. Um, yeah. So that's fun. But I mean, to link it back to my hippy dippy dickhead bullshit brain thinking um i am i so i used to when i drank i used to chase everything um i used to strangle everything i used to suffocate it and i would never get what i wanted and so when i stopped drinking and everything changed i went well i've got to have a i've got to have a different approach on life so my approach is that i just let whatever's supposed to happen next happen 
and trust that that's the right thing. I have this little visual where I imagine, um, do you know that episode of, it's a Looney Tunes cartoon where um, Donald Duck, no, Daffy Duck is getting, it's very postmodern for when it was done. Daffy Duck is getting drawn and then the pencil comes in and it erases his Mm -hmm. beak and then draws his beak on the other side. So my idea of the universe is that, um, that when I put my foot out, that a little stepping stone is being drawn underneath my foot and that I've just got to keep putting my feet out and there'll just be a stepping stone there to catch me. Wow. That's sort of how I try and view the world. I try. It doesn't work all the time, but I try. There's a poster for you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm writing that down now. Copyright. (laughs) It's all copyright now. It's all yours. Yeah, yeah. I own everything. See, that's exactly the problem, Steve. That's why I've got to believe in something else. Because if it was left up to me, I'd think I was the most power, biggest power in the universe, and then we'd all be doomed. But doomed in the best way, Felicity. Oh, I would. I mean, it would be a dictatorship full of foxes. It'd be a hell of a ride. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I can't imagine it'd be boring unless you had to listen to me talk about spirituality. Yeah, but that we'd only have to do that once a week. Yeah, that's true. And someone would write a book about it yeah. and, you know, 2,000 years' time, it would become an organised religion and be someone else's problem. Yeah. The Church of Stepping Stones. Copyright Felicity Ward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, Felicity. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Um, please know the things you said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. Oh. <laughs> oh, God, how did you know? How did you know I needed to hear that? <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, it is, I, I want you to be affirmed that we've had, it's been a fun conversation and I do appreciate your time and, and who you are. Thank you very, very much. It's been delightful. You are clearly a tweeting person. Are there other social accounts you would want people to be aware of? Um, I just I have all the usual boring business. I have a Facebook group. I have an Instagram page and they're all just Felicity Ward. I'm very lucky that no one else has this name. I think I have a Snapchat page, but I don't go on there because it's too weird for me and I've got a lot. It's a lot of social media to upkeep, you know. There is yeah. one app that I got called Musical.ly which is, yes. oh, my God, it's so amazing. It's like Dub Smash except you can do like slow, mega slow and mega fast versions of the song and you look like you really know what you're doing. Yeah, my nine-year-old daughter just asked me to, uh, uh, can she download it on her iPad? Yeah. And she's just diving into it. So, of course, being a dutiful father, I checked it out and I just went, I don't understand what's happening, but you can. this seems okay for now. It's so wonderful. I love it so much. I've only I haven't done heaps of videos, but um, I just love lip syncing. I love it. Well, they're saying it's it's the next big social media platform. What musically? Yeah. Oh my god! I'm so ahead of the game. <laughs> you are not only on brand but ahead of the curve. I'm on brand and on point. Step ball, chain, kick, pivot. <laughs> yeah. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Felicity Ward is in 